I'm James Norton. And I'm Dina Graziano. And this is Homeland Homeroom. We're here to overcome the partisan divide, at least the one here in the studio, and talk through the latest security news. For a lot of people, summer means travel to family reunions, weddings, vacations, or even summer camps. And when we travel, especially when we fly, we're reminded of all the threats that exist every time we take off our shoes, have our bag smelled by a dog, <laughs> or check how many ounces of sunscreen we can take with us, or whatever. Take your our, snacks now. Take they take snacks, your snacks. Whatever's in our baggie, whatever those kind of things are, you know, mm-hmm. got to buy a court baggie, stuff like that. <laughs> so we're going to kick off this third episode of Homeland Homeroom by discussing the latest news in transportation security, how safe we really are when we travel, and how much of the security protocols that exist really actually work. And we're joined for that discussion by Stephanie Beasley, transportation security reporter for Politico. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. So we're really glad to have you. We know you've been covering the transportation beat over there for for Politico for for quite a while. And, you know, we always love reading your stuff and and getting updated and finding what's going on. What are some of the latest stories you're you're seeing right now in transportation? Well, I mean, there there are lots of stories, but I guess uh, we'll start with TSA. And and there was mention, of course, of TSA's new sort of request (laughs) for passengers to take snacks, also powders, out of their carry-on bags. And that's caused quite a wave. I've seen all types of stories about it, particularly around the 4th of July. Um, And it's something that um, passengers seem to, a lot of them seem to have been unaware of, even though the agency has been doing this for about a year. I think last summer is when they started with the asking people to take the large electronics outside mm-hmm. of their bags mm-hmm. and then it slowly began like with the request to take the foods and powders and because of course TSA is very concerned um, about evolving threats mm-hmm. and I think you know under the Trump administration we've seen at least at, at the very beginning in, in 2017 uh, a big focus on aviation security threats and how do we avoid and address these and so TSA is has been making these some big changes, but a lot of sort of smaller changes about, you know, how people go through checkpoints. What's their way of getting to the general public to tell them, hey, you got to take your granola bars out or you got to take your baby food out or whatever? What's their what's their mode? I mean, you know, of course, I cover them. So yeah. I think a lot of it is them talking to reporters and us writing stories about it. Yeah, yeah. Saying that this yep. is coming, you know, they're going to start requesting this, you know, be prepared for that. Right. You do find a lot of people are still showing up at the airports and like, why am I being asked to take this out now? Like, I didn't know that we had to do this. People who don't maybe travel as often, who aren't following that on a regular basis, which is easy to forget because we're in sort of like this DC bubble where everybody's following like policy <laughs> changes. But, you know, my mom out in Ohio, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. She's not following she's that not, stuff. She's not on the TSA like, blog? Yeah, and she's been confused. She's been, like, escorted over to the pre-check line several times, and she's like, I don't know how this is happening. And I was sort of telling her about, like, their, you know, screening dogs. They have these dogs that vet some people mm-hmm. and allow them into the pre-check line. Um, and, you know, this is news to her. She doesn't know any of this <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, I think you have folks like that who maybe aren't getting this information still. You think, you think yeah. your mom's on a list somewhere? I think she put her on a list. She was, she's kind of a troublemaker <laughs> out know, there in Ohio. Yeah. I've been wondering <laughs> that. I actually have wanted to ask you because I'm like, how is she getting into these pre-check lists? Yeah. But yeah, there's a whole story then because, you know, some Congress members are not happy about that. Right. Representative Katko from New York has just recently introduced a bill that would, the title is pre-check is pre-check. And that's something he said <laughs> at a lot of hearings, but he doesn't like the idea that some people like my mom yep. are going through sure. a pre-check without having enrolled in the program. I like it when I see it on my boarding pass. It makes me super happy. <laughs> so You can speed through without speed taking through. Speed through, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, I, you know, just to go back with what you just said, like, I think the majority of people are not 
business travelers and travel mm-hmm. with their families, obviously now. Um, do you think there's a better way that TSA could um, share that information? You know, I'm thinking about like your mom or my dad. He doesn't he doesn't even know what a blog is. He doesn't know what Instagram is. Um, do you think there should be a better partnership with maybe some of the airline carriers? So when you get your ticket or your e-ticket that they say, hey, FYI, you know, your goldfish are going to be screened now. And for a lot of, I'm a mom and, you know, I try to bring snacks with me on the plane. And I think there's a lot of moms who go with small kids and they're, you know, chock full of snacks and bottles and baby food. Don't you think there might be a better way than relying on social media or the TSA blog, which like you say, most people that aren't in Washington aren't on the TSA blog, I would assume. Yeah. It's <laughs> I not mean, your favorite on, on your No, it's not on my top ten blog yeah. blog lists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that TSA definitely has partnerships with airlines. Uh big but again, I imagine for a lot of airlines they're they're probably posting links on their websites, which not everybody is internet savvy. But so, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, trial and error, I think, for people. And then once people go to the airports and experience this, this is sort of like, I think, how the word gets out a lot. Like the dogs. I went and I didn't know about the dogs. And I see them walking the dogs in the the check-in line. I didn't know that beforehand. And then I saw the sign. I was like, oh, okay, we have dogs now. You know know what I want to know is nobody seems to know who owns that little, like, when you walk up to like get on a flight or whatever, they say you have to put your bag in here, and if your bag doesn't fit in here, then you have to check your bag. Like nobody seems to be responsible for that. You know, it's not TSA. The airlines like, oh, it's FAA, or you always hear some whatever. I don't know where they make that or whatever. I don't know but, because I used to think yeah. you couldn't if you couldn't get your bag through the screener. Right. Then you had to check. So that's you know, uh, working for former members who used to overpack a lot. If we could, that was our measurement. If we can't get it through the the yeah. bag and the yeah. screener, then we can't. We can't check it. Um, Well, you know, let's talk about the leadership. Obviously, TSA has been under a lot of criticism for a long time. You know, it's probably one of the uh, most disliked agencies, probably because it impacts, you know, regular people on a day-to-day basis. Um, How do you think the the new leadership at TSA is doing? Right. So the administrator of TSA is David Bukowski, Mm -hmm. who's a former Coast Guard commandant, uh, spent some time in private industry. Um, and it took a while to get him in there. I believe it, it was over a year. I'm sure. <laughs> so it took a, a long while for him to get there. And during that time, I think that John Kelly, when he was in charge of Department of Homeland Security, he was addressing a lot of the aviation issues. And then when Picasso got over there, he sort of took over with that. Um, and, it, and there wasn't a lot of controversy either, I think, when he was mm-hmm. nominated and, you know, during his whole process, because I think there was, you know, a lot of respect for his time with the Coast Guard. Um, I think as far as this administration, he's probably about as non-controversial as you're going to get <laughs> for leadership. Um and he seems to be very available, right, which is a good thing, right, in terms yeah. of access to the media, it sounds like, or being visible on the Hill and stuff like that. I mean, that yeah. seems like... He seems to be pretty available. I'm always seeing, like, photos of him flying around mm-hmm. to these different airports and talking to employees. That seems to be a focus of his, you know, sort of boosting this morale at TSA, which has been, you know, chronically low. And just this week, actually, he introduced this new career progression plan for screeners mm. that sort of lays out the steps for them to advance in their careers. Now, of course, you know, this is very fairly recent but that has been a big complaint uh for for screeners is that you know there was no real pathway to move forward in this career there weren't any salary increases for some of them um you know there there were some workplace issues <laughs> in terms of misconduct so he seems to be addressing them in, in some ways uh but of course you know i think congress always feels like more could be done 
But um, he just still seemed to be pushing for uh, things like com- computer tomography machines, which are new technology that hopefully, I guess, supposedly would sort of speed up the screening process. Um, and those plans seem to be moving forward, you know, in some way. You just read my mind. That was actually my next question to you. Um, we've heard that there's going to be some deployment of, of that CT technology. Um, it's supposed to help the screeners, you know, see things better, give them a bit of an upgrade on those machines. seems like there's bipartisan support. Uh, how soon do you think that type of technology will get deployed to the 450 airports across the country? Right. So TSA has been piloting these uh, computed tomography machines, which are like 3D X-ray machines that would essentially let you leave everything in your bag. So you wouldn't have to take all the stuff out. It can kind of look through there, see what's in there, and boom, you just go through. And so they've been piloting uh, the technology, and they're expanding to additional airports this summer. Uh, But as far as the broad deployment, it sounds like it's going to be a few years off. Mm. And, of course, you get to, like, questions of of money, too, because... Mm -hmm. You know, Pekoski said that he wanted enough funding for, I believe it was 300 machines initially. But right now, um, you know, the discussion between, well, the White House proposal definitely had money for 145. And the appropriators seem to be, you know, following that as well. So that's about half, of course, of, of what he wanted. So money seems to be always the issue for TSA. And I imagine it will take some time to get these machines out like everywhere. So I don't expect it anytime like soon. I'm sure some of our listeners are wondering, is this the same technology you use in hospitals? CT scans is exactly the same? Yeah. So it's it's just x-ray technology. It basically allows people to, you know, allows the screeners to look through and see all the objects in the bag. And so, yeah, like I said, that would allow you to leave those objects in the bag. Now, what it won't do, um, of course, is do away with, you know, the requirement for you to take off your belt, take off your shoes, because that's only your person, of course. And, you know, <laughs> they're not going to use the machine on, on us. Yeah, that's more of a policy yeah. issue, right? Right. Yeah, anything else? Yeah. Well, let's uh, chat about this. Uh, the laptop ban. 2017 uh, laptop ban was an early decision by the Trump administration to tighten security and combat aviation terror threats. But since that time, there haven't been any updates. Yeah, you know, there was there was that period where all this was happening. Uh, DHS was considering expanding this laptop ban, which was affecting mostly Muslim-majority countries, to Europe. And, you know, the European officials, people in airports over there, were sort of up in arms about this because, one, they their complaint was that they weren't really aware that this was coming. And two, they felt like they should be more involved in the discussion about how this should be implemented and whether or not, you know, some of the measures they already had in place could do the same things or reach the same goals that that Kelly had. After that, you saw that DHS's attention sort of shifted from that to the southern border. And I, and I think I know that's been a big concern for John Kelly. So I imagine he probably had some influence over that. And what you've seen come out of, of DHS as far as aviation security since then has been mostly at the agency level. As I said, some of the changes that TSA has made, things are happening at that level, but not at sort of this department-wide level well, anymore. Well, just, just to jump on what you were saying about kind of the shift to the border and the, and the wall and that kind of stuff. I mean, do you think that's where that's where the CT money is gone or is going is, is to the wall or, you know, to ice or, or things like that. And is that, is that a place where Pekoski, maybe there's some infighting going on, or maybe the Hill has to make a decision about, Hey, you know what? Like we appreciate that you want this wall, but that's not really a priority. We're going to move this money over to ice. Just like we've seen with Vipers a little bit. We've seen some, some refunding there. You think there's any of that going on? I think there is the sense that the administration is 
basically proposing to cut some of these programs so that it would free up money to go right. to the southern border, particularly within Congress. You know, whenever Picasso goes up there or, you know, McAleenan from, from CVP, right. they, they're always pushed on, you know, why are we making cuts here? We should be focused on these things and not just the southern border, because though there are some threats there, we also have threats at our airports and at our seaports and on the train stations and all these things. It's kind of scary, though, when you think about it, because it doesn't seem like there's an evaluation of the threat. I, I would hope there's some kind of plan or methodology that they use when they make these decisions to take assets away from transportation and deploy them wherever. I think the aviation threat's gone away. I mean, I, I agree in terms no. of the PR aspect of it. Right. Maybe we're not hearing as much, but... Yeah, I think, I think you know, I, I would sort of like delineate between like what's happening with the administration and what's happening in Congress. Because I feel like while there are lots of executive actions happening that, you know, relate to immigration and the southern border, Congress still seems to very much be focused on aviation security, transportation security in general. And so, you know, I, I cover House Homeland Security hearings quite a bit. They have hearings all the time. Yeah, I also think there's a lot of consensus when it comes to aviation security, at least on House Homeland. I mean, when I was a staffer there, a lot of the service transportation and, and aviation, it was pretty bipartisan, I think. Yeah. Well, what about, I mean, there's one, I mean, one I'll kind of throw out there that I think has been a little bit partisan is, is the screeners and the, the number of screeners that, that are there. I think there's a cap. TSA screeners aren't law enforcement officers, right? They're essentially security guards. Right. They're, doing, they're doing their best, but they're essentially security guards. They don't have any arrest authority. You know, they essentially have to rely on the local police to make an arrest or bring somebody in or, or federal police come in or something like that. So, I mean, do you think that's that's something that should change and maybe that would help with career progression if there actually were law enforcement officers there standing there with guns and with, you know, kind of having that authority, a different type of training, different salary, different those kind of things as opposed right. to... How how does TSA pay for the additional training, the firearms, all these things that would come with being a law enforcement agency? I I, I wonder. I'm sure there are some some perks or benefits to that, and in, in the additional authority and you know ability to make arrests. But Set they have a hard. It's a horrible job. Yeah, yeah. You know, it is. I, people yeah. yell at them. They snap at them. You know, and I think you know. I, yeah. I, I do always feel bad as someone who worked with TSA yeah. closely on the hill. You know, you, you're, my heart goes out to them a bit because, you know, they, they don't, you know, for a long time, they didn't even have collective bargaining rights. Right. You know, they're they're just constantly, you know, have angry people mad at them about the inconsistency in policies, you know, based on, yeah. you know, if they're in New York or New Jersey or D.C. It's it's a frustrating job. I mean, maybe that would yeah. help morale. What about um, just to throw another question out there? You know, Congressman John Kako, I think you mentioned him earlier. He's the subcommittee chair for, for aviation on the House Homeland Committee, which you, you obviously cover a lot. You know, he had a bill early on to look at the insider threat and to kind of fund the insider threat. And what we're really talking about is is employees and employee screening and the employee screening entrances at, you know, all these airports. And there's a scary situation when you kind of think about these, these uh, screening areas um, and kind of what goes in and out. <clears throat> it seemed to pass the House pretty easily. Um, but, it, you know, as we said, you, you know, a lot of things die in the Senate. Why do you think there has been more momentum to kind of support that effort to kind of plug this big hole that we have there with, with employee screening? Well, I mean, I don't think it's for lack of interest because I know that, you know, for example, Senator Bill Nelson, who, of course, is a Democrat from Florida, mm-hmm. um, constantly talks about his concerns about employees sneaking guns in and all, all types of things through the airport and are not being checked for it. 
But yeah, in terms of risk, it, it's one of the ones I think of, along with many others. But you know, I probably spent too much time thinking about all yeah, the. I'm ways surprised you still fly. Yeah, fly. I mean, I think about it just getting on the train in the metro. That is really yeah. like where I'd start to freak out a little well, bit. Yeah. But, why yeah. don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I know that my dad takes the train from New Jersey uh, to Washington uh, Union Station, and they rarely check um, his ID. There's no screening. What's your yeah, thoughts? I think I think when you talk about sort of rail in transit, um, one TSA isn't as directly responsible for security there as they are with airports. So it's really up to those localities and municipalities to in- enforce this. And I think you know one of the big differences is that you know transit and rail systems are far more open. Oh. So you know, just a matter of like getting somebody to be at each one of these stations and check everybody and check IDs. You'd have to like think of all the people that would require all the manpower it would require. And so, yeah, I think for me, it's definitely a concern because I, you know, of course I'm following this and I am aware of it and I'm thinking like anybody can get on this train right now. Anybody can get on this Metro car and who knows what they have and, you know, leave a bag and, well, yeah, that's that, it. There's yeah. no, not even bad right. restrictions. There's nothing. Yeah. There's no restrictions really at all. And, and other nations have gotten religion. I mean, we saw Mumbai, we that London, right. Shanghai. There's a lot of other nations yeah. who've gotten religion on rail security. But unfortunately, I'd, I've often wondered if it's not that, you know, the sort of slow movement isn't because we haven't had the type of incident. Hate to say it. Like but, they have in Europe yep. where, you know, trains are being blown up. And Great. so, you know. For a lot of folks, even though it has been quite a while, September 11th is still fresh enough in their minds that aviation is just, you know, something still to be. I think as, um, you know, Michael McCall, who's the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, says it's the crown jewel. Um, one last question, um, Stephanie, and thanks for giving us all of your time. Um, the the issue of, you know, active shooter and, you know, the soft target issue, um, not the terrorist threat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously we know you go into an airport before you go even into the screening area. You have, you know, thousands of people and that goes in, you know, trains, rail stations, um, bus stations, same issue. Have you heard of uh, members concerned about that type of issue and that type of threat and how um, either bringing in private security or kind of uh, rejiggering the security at those facilities, um, you know, might be done to address some of those types of threats. Right. And where there's been attacks, right? Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, that's, there's precedent for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is increasing concern about soft targets, particularly like these areas outside of transportation hubs that could be vulnerable but, you know, th- this has been a growing sort of concern. And, you know, I used to cover just transportation more generally. And I know there was a lot of talk in Department of Transportation about smart cities. But that is something that I think is probably going to become more of uh, the direction we're going in when you start talking about incorporating technology like biometrics that like re-scan people's faces or fingerprints before they go into buildings or go into the train station so you know who's coming in and who's going out. So I think there there is some discussion. I don't know that it's like, I don't know if it's going to pass out of the Senate, <laughs> clear the Senate, but um, it is something that people are more aware of, particularly after, you know, recent incidents like, you know, Vegas and Florida club shooting and, you know, all these school shootings. You know, it's top of mind, I think, for a lot of people. Well, I want to thank uh, you, Stephanie, for joining us. Just a reminder to our listeners, we're joined by Stephanie Beasley, transportation reporter from Politico. You can follow her on Twitter at Steph-Beasley on Twitter. And thanks uh, for joining us today at Homeland Homeroom. Thank you.
Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're back. This is Homeland Homeroom, where this week we're talking about transportation security. And I'm James Norton, former senior Homeland Security official in the George W. Bush administration. And I'm Dina Graziano, former Democratic Communications Director for the House Homeland and Judiciary Committees. We tend to get in the weeds just a little bit with some of our guests, so we wanted to hear directly from people dealing with the ins and outs of transportation security every day. So let's go to Max in Boston. Hey there. I've heard the TSA's structure changed when it unionized a while ago. Is that true? How did unionizing affect how the TSA works? So, yes, that is true. Um, there was actually two sets, I, I believe, of, of collective bargaining um, steps for TSA. Back in 2010, under Pistol, they addressed collective bargaining. Um, there were some issues related to pay and security that were not part of that broader negotiation with the screeners. Under Obama... They did make some changes. Um, they are now unionized, which I think is great, frankly, for these screeners. They, as I as I mentioned earlier in the program, you know they're overworked. They're yelled at all the time. They should have the right to bargain for their hours, for their pay, to upgrade um, their positions. So um, I think uh, I don't think it's changed the public face of TSA screeners look like, but I definitely ha- think it has boosted morale. For these screeners, at least I, I hope it has, um, and given them the rights that they should should have had, like like other officials. Yeah, I'm actually gonna go. I'm actually gonna get in my time machine and go back even further here for a second. So, so the idea of um, TSA being a non-union entity was one of the core principles for the Homeland Security Act, and the idea behind that was that this new department should have the ability to hire and fire whoever they need to have, given the gravity and the magnitude of its mission and that we want to give the leadership there the opportunity to to be able to have interchangeable parts. And at a place like TSA, the possibility of having to surge uh, workers at different airports or moving them around and, and those kind of things was, was really one of the core thought processes early on being debated on the Hill and being pushed heavily by the then Bush administration. Um, it turned into a real big political issue. Uh, I, guess I was on the committee. Yes, then. yep. In two thousand, <laughs> I think I wrote a letter to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, probably. I'm sure I mailed it back to you. But uh, um, so, really, that particular provision and the idea of having a non-unionized TSA and other abilities to hire and fire within DHS actually prevented the bill from passing in two thousand and two, if you remember, and it became a big election issue for the Bush administration and. Um, is one of the reasons that Max Cleland, if you remember him, senator from Georgia, lost his race because Republicans campaigned against him and other senators saying that they were anti-security and anti-USA and and all those kind of things. And I can't remember the exact phrase. Inflating issues again. Well, you know, know, we're just looking back at history here a little bit, but um, it was a big issue. And so ultimately the Homeland Security bill passed after the election in November uh, 2002 or around that time period or whatever. And so... Now, you know, it's funny, years later after Obama came in, and they did actually eventually get unionized. Well, they did you know, some in, in 2010, but they did not address, like you said, the the flexibility. Yeah, like, which never actually got search. implemented. Correct. really never right. was. So, right. um, uh, But there is a lot of policy issues there. And one I think the government still struggles with today in terms of being able to um, – remove or hire fire uh, people within the federal system. And I think that's, again, it might be a whole nother episode, <laughs> but I think episode. there is there is a lot of history there. And I think, um, you know, what it really comes down to, and I, I think maybe you have a similar opinion, is 
is just the idea of what kind of workforce are the screeners, you know, and at this point they're not, they're not law enforcement. They are, you know, security guards, for lack of a better term, you know, doing their best for sure. And I think they're one of the know. lowest paid federal employees as well. Yep. So that's obviously a problem. Absolutely. Because I would say a disgruntled screener is bad for security. Yes. So. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's always challenging going to different airports and kind of seeing the different, um, posture right that's there some are better than others some have their lunches sitting there some have you know people screaming at each other um it always kind of uh i always kind of have this image um of them uh you know kind of screaming on, on megaphones at people walking through or whatever you know doing x y or z and stuff like that so well i'm always of uh, i'm a democrat i'm obviously very pro-union I'm, I'm hopeful that there are other republicans that support unions just so you know i mean it's not just a, a democrat i don't know anymore issue, I mean, you know? so who knows i don't think it's a union issue but I um i think issue. all in all it has not um I, I don't think it has negatively impacted our security at least in my opinion so we have another question here from zoe in san francisco why do we have such rigorous security when it comes to air travel but minimal security for travel by road train or boat are there more active threats in aviation than other modes of transportation? That's a great question. I think, you know, it's something that we think about often. You know, you go to your airport, get on your plane, you go through several checkpoints, uh, take out, you know, everything in your bag, your belts, um, you know, your laptop, your shoes. But when you get on the metro every day to go to work, you don't see any of that that type of security technology present. And the same, frankly, at the rails. I'd like to say that because there hasn't been a large-scale attack on a U.S. rail or transit system, um, that is, you know, I believe that's why, frankly, we haven't deployed the assets and funding to do that. Um, but also, as James talked about earlier, uh, TSA doesn't necessarily have the same oversight over our surface transportation as it does over aviation. Isn't that correct, James? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think a lot of times when we stand up these organizations or try to do something, we're fixing yesterday's problem. And obviously, 9/11 was a horrible, horrific thing that happened, and you know, the U.S. government tried to step in and, and try to improve that system, which was standing up the TSA, mostly focused on aviation and the kind of loose oversight over, you know, rail and, and buses and, and boats and ports and those kind of things. I think that uh, there's no doubt that there is still a threat for aviation. And, you know, as we've seen in Europe, the multiple attacks at the airports and on trains and those kind of things are there. I mean, the metro here in D.C. is is absolutely wide open. There's little to no security. Um, and I think the attacks aren't as sophisticated as maybe we thought, you know, post 9-11, I think we're seeing a lot of attacks. Um, look at the Ariadne Grand concert, right? It wasn't it wasn't inside the concert. It was outside the concert, kind of waiting for people in the parking lot or even just, you know, people you know, running after with, with a knife, right? Or what we saw in New York, people driving after those on the sidewalks with a car. Um, and I think that places like the metro and, and bus stations are definitely wide open to that or even, you know, firearm attacks. Um, doesn't take much for somebody to do that. So we, obviously we don't want to see that happen, but I think... You know, a lot of Homeland Security is about risk management, and we've we've kind of put our dollars in different places over the years, you know, trying to take down that risk. Certainly, there's I'm sure there's threat streams, um, you know, for each of the one of those modes, but um, it seems at this point the current leadership is, is kind of putting their money in, in different places, and whether it's right or wrong, that, that's kind of where we are, don't you think? Yeah, but to be fair, um, I was reading the TSA blog, which I, I don't often do. Um, but Pekoski had said they had done over, you know, 200 voluntary assessments to mass transit pipelines, school bus, you know, r- routes, et cetera. So I want to give credit. I obviously don't sure. want people to be 
uh, fearful when they're traveling. Um, you will see canines. You will see police. But um, I, I definitely think um, you might see random checks of passengers like you would in an airport. Um, but I definitely think um, because we haven't seen the type of threats directed toward airlines as to mass transit, at least in the U.S., I think we still kind of have um, a laxed attitude. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt that there's communication between state and locals mm-hmm. and the TSA, and they're absolutely trying to help and advise and provide as much mm-hmm. support. But I think it, at the end of the day, it comes down to resources and where we can put our you know, put our money and those kind of things. So while I'm sure they've been helpful to a lot of the either public or private sector components, it's does the private sector want to spend that kind of money? Is, does the state and locals have it? Where is Congress appropriating and those kind of things? But Well, you know, we can look to our partners over in uh, London and Shanghai and Tokyo who've, you know, done a great job of securing their, their mass transit systems. And, you know, we'll just keep our fingers crossed around here for now while we're traveling those modes of transportation. Well, let's go to another quick question here from Steve in Connecticut. Most of the TSA policies we deal with at the airport, taking off our shoes, the 311 rule for liquids, came as a response to attempted attacks. Why are TSA policies so reactionary? Actually, uh, I'm going to get back on my time machine again, if you don't mind. And I can tell you that the 311 rule actually was put in place um, a time when I was at the department. And, Dina, you were on the Hill. Um, uh, in 2006, there was a liquid attempt to uh, blow up several aircraft flying from London to the U.S. I think there were like eight to ten aircraft, a very public event. I actually think that this was an event that really put DHS on the map where it was able to work with its uh, partners overseas in in London and other places to really take down a terror uh, cell that was really looking to to do a lot of damage. Um, And what they wanted to do was essentially smuggle pieces of liquid and then assemble the bomb while they were on the plane and then have an explosion you know, on the plane. And I think at the time they put these rules in place so that TSA or whoever the screeners might be, whether it's in the U.S. or whatever, could actually understand what was coming on the plane and what could or couldn't be assembled and then, you know, kind of essentially disrupt um, the attack as it was, uh, could have happened. And that's really why you have this 311 rule in place from 2000, August 2006, or actually almost 12 years from, uh, from the time period when when this attempted attack took place and that it was disrupted by the U.S. And, and the U.K. authorities. And so a lot of these rules are in place as a disruption technique to stop uh, to stop attacks. And I think there still is probably, I have to assume, you know, those threats that are out there uh, with those policies. And that's, you know, the shoes obviously came from the shoe, shoe bomber, bomber, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, and other things that come up. So there is a little bit of reaction, don't you think, that that happens with that? Yeah, but I think that's the it's the right response. Mm-hmm. You know, I think obviously they see things that the average person doesn't see. They're yep. they're tracking the threats. They're you know looking at um, where their vulnerabilities are. And while it's inconvenient to travelers, obviously to take your snacks out, to take your shoes off, to take you know to put your liquids in a teeny bag. Um, we also have to realize that um, that directive didn't come out of thin air. Right. It came from either an active event, a terrorist threat, or chatter that they've heard. So I think um, while inconvenient, we have to be patient with our uh, our TSA screeners and policies because in the end, they're, they're truly there to make us safer. Um, while uh, very aggravating to, to many travelers, especially in high travel seasons when there's a long line. Sure, absolutely. But I mean, they, they, but you're absolutely right. They obviously have a reason to do it. They're not just doing it for fun. You right. know, they're doing it because there's a serious threat. Right. And they're they're not screening to... your, your uh, goldfish right. just for the sake of screening right. them. They right. obviously absolutely. Yep. have some knowledge that the average person does not have. Right, correct. And so we just have to, to assume that they're, they're doing everything they can to keep us safe. 
So thanks so much for your questions and for listening to the Homeland Homeroom. Don't forget, email info at homelandhomeroom.com with your questions about security. And you can follow us on Twitter at Homeland Pod. And please leave us a review on iTunes if you can. Homeland Homeroom is produced by 90 West. Our producer is Emma Jean Weinstein. And we have recorded the show at Monitor Studios in Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening.